Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with confidence in prayer as we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 44. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. And he sent him seven times, and it came to pass the seventh time that he said, Behold, there is a rising a little cloud out of the sea about the size of a man's hand. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and get down in order that the rain doesn't stop you. And so it came to pass in the meantime that the heaven was black with clouds and the wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, the other end of the valley of Megiddo. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So God answered by fire, and now God sent the rain in answer to his prayer. But remember, the confidence in prayer came from the fact of the listening ear. And this is always true. Real confidence in prayer comes from the fact that I have heard from the Lord. The listening ear is an important thing in prayer. Now, so often we're so overwhelmed with our particular problem that we just rush right into God and start blurting out the whole, you know, scene. Rather than coming in and just waiting to maybe listen to God, maybe he has something to tell me. With many people, prayer is only thought of in terms of a monologue. They never think of prayer as a dialogue. But real prayer should actually be a dialogue. I should be listening to God. I should be listening to see what God instructs and directs me. And therefore, that time of quietness before the Lord is very important where I just go in and I just sit down and relax him and quiet before the Lord that he might have an opportunity to speak to me. Then I speak to him. And then I believe it's always important for me to wait for him to answer me. And so I I like to spend quiet time listening, talking, listening again, that I might get directions or instructions or guidance from the Lord, a response to my request. And it's always an exciting experience when God responds to my questions or to my requests and begins to give me direction and answers because I take time to wait for the response. A lot of times I hear people say, well, God never responded to me. Well, did you give him a chance? You see, did you really listen? Did you wait for the response from God? So Ahab told his wife Jezebel the whole story of what had happened, what Elijah did, And how he killed all of her prophets with a sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, and she said, So let the gods do to me, and even more also, if I don't make your life like the life of those prophets by tomorrow this time. And when he got the message from Jezebel, 
he got up and he began to run for his life. And he came all the way to Beersheba, which is about, oh, 80 miles, 85 miles south from this area. And he left his servant there, probably so bushed he couldn't go on any further. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested that he might die. He said, it's enough now, O Lord, I've had it. Take away my life, slay me, I'm through. Now, this is, you know, out of a diswrought condition. You're all upset. And it's interesting how that when we are so upset, we oftentimes say things we don't really mean. You know, you get real upset and, and you just say things you don't really mean. Afterwards, you're, you're even sorry that you said them many times. But I was just upset, so I just, you know, didn't really engage my brain. I just let my mouth run. And I said these things, but I really didn't mean them. You know, a lot of times we say things that we don't really mean. We, we ought to be really more careful with our speech. You know, you say to your child, get back in this house or I'll knock your head off. Oh, you really don't mean that. And the prophet's saying, Lord, slay me. I've had it. I'm through. Just kill me, Lord. I don't want to go any further. If he wanted to die, he didn't have to run. He could have stayed right back there in Jezreel. And Jezebel would have taken care of it very gladly. So the very fact that he was running showed that he wanted to survive. That was the whole purpose of the flight, is to get away from the threat of Jezebel to kill him. And so he went to sleep, and when he woke up, the angel was there, had prepared a meal for him, and said, you know, come on and eat, because you're going to go a long way on this food. So he had angel's food, and it lasted for 40 days. Good stuff, very nutritious. He went 40 days on the strength of that meat. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, down in the Sinai, way down. Man, he's really fleeing from her, down in the barren wilderness, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, both names given to this mount, the mountain where Moses met God and received the law. And he came to a cave and he stayed there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him there in the cave and said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, Elijah didn't really understand the question. The question was, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answered why he was there, not what he was doing there, but why he was there. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because Israel has really turned against God. They have forsaken his covenant, they have broken down his altars, they have slain his prophets, and I'm the only one left. And they're even looking for me to kill me. How bad can things get? The nation Israel in total apostasy. 
They have forsaken the Lord, broken down his altars, killed his prophets. Only one prophet left, and they're looking for him. Now, that is Elijah's overstatement of the case because he is so upset and discouraged. And that's one thing about discouragement and despair. It causes you to overstate the case so it actually looks worse than it really is. You know, we get so discouraged and so despondent. We don't want anyone to cheer us up. I just want sympathy at this point. This is so bad. No one's ever had it this bad, you know. And, and we always are overstating then the case, as Elijah was actually overstating the case of the problems in Israel. They've killed all of your prophets, and I, only I am left, and they're looking for me to kill me. God, you don't have a single one left in Israel. That isn't quite right, Elijah, but you're upset, and I understand, you know. You get so down that you just can't see any glimmer of hope, any light. And he, Lord said, Elijah, come on out here and stand here on the mount. So Elijah came out to the entrance of the cave and he stood there. And there came this fierce wind whipping through there, tearing rocks loose, rolling down the hillside. But God wasn't in the wind. Then there came this earthquake, just shook the whole place. God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there came a fire just raging through. God wasn't in the fire. And then there came the still small voice. You know, quite often we miss the voice of God because we are anticipating God to speak in such, you know, great thunderous tones or in such a mystic way. I say, well, the Lord spoke to me. Oh, how did he speak? My, the voice of God must really rumble like thunder or something, you know. And, and we think that when God is leading us that there must be something almost uh, like a trance experience where I become, you know, almost in this trance and I hear little signs saying beep, 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 turn right. Beep, 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 go forward, you know, beep, beep, stop. And, and that it's some kind of a mystic thing where I'm walking around in a trance. You know, God is leading me. I'm being led by the Spirit. Not so. In fact, when God is leading your life, he does it in such natural ways that generally you're not even aware that God is leading you because it just seems such a natural thing. Years ago, I was driving up to Ventura to have services in a church up there where I grew up. And they had invited me back to speak on a Sunday evening. So I decided to go up on Saturday, take a leisure drive, stay with my aunt in Santa Barbara Saturday night, and then drive back to uh, Ventura on Sunday and speak there on Sunday evening. 
And so I had started up to Ventura, and I was in Hollywood, and I came to Sunset Boulevard, and it just flashed on me, and I had a convertible, and it flashed on me, what a beautiful day. Why not just flip the top down, drive down Sunset Boulevard to Pacific Coast, and go up past Malibu? I love that drive up the coast through Malibu and, and Point Magoo and, and on in that way. It's such a beautiful day, you know, I thought, and just put the top down and, and take a, a drive up the coast. So I started winding down, you know, Sunset Boulevard winds all the way through until it finally drops you there in, in Santa Monica at the Pacific Coast Highway. And as I was coming down, the skies were so blue, so clear, and it was just such a beautiful day, spring day. And there was a couple who were hitchhiking. I thought, oh, well, I'm all by myself. Might as well pick them up. And, you know, so I picked them up and we started asking them questions, found out they were from Montana. And I said, well, what are you doing here in California? They said, oh, we're looking for work. I said, well, what kind of work do you do? I'm a farmer. <laughs> and he said, I haven't been able to find anything in Los Angeles. I said, well, where are you going? They said, well, we're going to San Francisco. I said, well, there are no farms in San Francisco. I said, it's the same as Los Angeles. It's just a big city. I said, now between here and San Francisco, there's a lot of farm country. In fact, I said, um, I'm going through Ventura. I said, there's a lot of farms uh, around Ventura. There's a lot of ranches and all. And I said, uh, if you want to really get farm work, you better stop in, in one of these communities between here and San Francisco, Salinas or somewhere. You're never going to get a job on a farm up there. They poor kids, they didn't know, you know anything about California. They just heard that it was sunny and all, and they were tired of the snow in Montana and just newly married and decided to move to California and you know, get a job. Then I started witnessing to them about the Lord. And um, when we got to Ventura, they decided that they would stay and look for work there. And I drove them by the church where I would be the next evening, invited them to come and, and meet me at the church the next evening. And we had prayer with them. They both accepted Christ. So I bid them farewell and went on up to Santa Barbara to stay with my aunt. And... Uh, Never really expected to see them again. When I got to Santa Barbara, my aunt was making enchiladas, and she was enchiladas. She was the greatest enchilada maker in the world. And the phone rang, and it was my mother. And there were problems at our home in Santa Ana. I had an alcoholic uncle that I kicked out, and he came back while I was gone, and. My mother was quite desperate. She couldn't take him. It was my dad's brother, and she, she said, it's either him or me. And so I had to drive right on back to Santa Ana that night and deal with my uncle and get him out of there for my mother's sake. So my whole trip to Santa Barbara was sort of in vain anyhow, I thought. But then I drove up the next night to Ventura, spoke at the church. We gave an invitation for those at the end 
who would like to receive Christ to come forward, and this couple, who I never expected to see again, came forward. And so there were several people that came forward that evening, and I went down and, and prayed with many of them. And I went up to this young couple, and I told them how great it was to see them and how thrilled I was that they were there. And they were just beaming all over, telling me just how, how glorious it was, you know, that, that they'd accepted the Lord and, and how happy they were. And they said, this man who came to pray with us, I knew him, his name is Mr. Jenkins, I grew up in Ventura and I knew him quite well. And he was a foreman at the Del Mar Lyman Air Ranch. And so he came forward, prayed with them, and they shared, you know, what the th situation was. So he said, hey, I've got an opening out on the ranch right now. And he hired them and they had a job and uh, housing and everything else. And God just put the whole thing together. Then I got to thinking, you know, it must have been the Lord that put into my mind, why don't you flip the top down and go up the coast? <laughs> you know, it seemed like so me. Because I love the ocean and all, it seemed like such a natural thought that I really wasn't aware at that moment in Hollywood that it was actually the Spirit of God speaking to me and directing me to this couple that were really searching for the Lord as much as anything else because they were wide open to receive the witness and, and all. And yet I realized, hey, God was directing me. Because it, it, though I love the coast, being that well along on my way in the inland route, I don't like Sunset Boulevard and all the signals going out to the coast. And yet suddenly I realized it was the Lord leading me. Now, it wasn't something mystical and, and you know, there wasn't thunder and lightning and, and great winds and earthquakes or anything else. It was just a very natural way. And what the scripture is saying is that God usually speaks to us in very natural ways. Don't expect God to, to speak in some earthquake. Or, In fact, it's awfully hard to hear God many times when our earth is shaking around us. It's awfully hard to hear God in the midst of the tempest and the storms of life. It's hard to hear God when it seems like everything around us is being consumed. Many times we need to get our hearts very quiet before God. We need to get away from the tempest. We need to get away from the shaking and the things around us to get alone to where I can really hear that still small voice of God within as he guides me, as he assures me of his love, as he assures me of his purpose, and I get the strength and the help from God when he speaks to me. And it's that still small voice within so natural that it seems like it comes maybe even from your own heart or your own mind. But in reality, it is God speaking to you. And it's always an exciting experience when I come to the realization that that thought didn't come out of my own subconsciousness. That thought came to me from God. God planted that thought in my mind. 
that still small voice, it was God speaking to me. And, and it's beautiful. It, it's a glorious experience to hear the still small voice. The Lord said, repeated the same question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah still didn't understand the question. He answered the Lord the same way. I've been very jealous for you. For Israel has forsaken the covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've slain your prophets. I only I am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Now, the question was, what are you doing here? Not why are you here? So the Lord got then to specifics with this upset prophet because in reality, he was doing nothing. He was hiding, doing nothing. He had, he had put himself out of service. He was out of commission. There was no one to witness to down there. There was no work for God to be done in that barren wilderness. So he was doing nothing. God doesn't like for us to do nothing. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of 1 Kings on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 1 Kings 18 through 19 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you. Oh, may God bless you and, and just fill you with the knowledge and the understanding of himself. That you may come to know him in a deeper, fuller, richer way. So God bless you in your walk and in your relationship with him this week. May it get better than it ever was before. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The 1960s became one of the most colorful periods in American history. The counterculture was dropping out and turning on. The Summer of Love was the stage for many dramas of change and the most popular musical group in the world was singing All You Need Is Love. But one man in Southern California was reaching out with the answer, and the truth began to set people free.
author and pastor Chuck Smith began to share the love of Jesus Christ with a generation that was looking for love in all the wrong places. Now some 40 years later, the gospel of love is still changing lives. In his book simply titled, Love, The More Excellent Way, Pastor Chuck Smith expounds upon the love that can change your life now and forever. For more information on how to obtain your copy, visit a bookstore nearest you or call 1-800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org. That's thewordfortoday.org.